You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. George Bernard Shaw said, whiskey is liquid sunshine. Today, I share a dram of Black Bull Scotch with Peter Curry. Cue the bagpipes. I couldn't think of a better way to start February, drinking on the job's celebratory month of imbibing in response to dry January, than to be with Peter Curry, the sales director of Shand Imports, but more importantly, a Scotch whiskey expert. And uh, we're going to demystify scotch today and make you look as cool as Don Draper ordering a a whiskey neat at his favorite bar. Uh, Thanks for being on the show, Peter. Uh, You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, So uh, you work for an import, but your specialty or the one of the things that uh, you're really known for is the whole Duncan Taylor portfolio, which is a broker, um, blender. So give us the the short of what you do and kind of how it started. Um, I think people need to know that. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm a partner in the import business, mm-hmm. uh, Shand Import, which we set up about seven years ago, mm-hmm. um, basically to import the Duncan Taylor range of blends, single malts, uh, single grains. So Duncan Taylor is not a bot a distiller. We right. don't we don't distill a drop. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotch whiskey is kind of unique in that uh, there's a section of the mm-hmm. the industry called independent bottlers, mm-hmm. um, and I think historically, if you look at Scotch sales, the majority mm-hmm. of Scotch sales are blended scotches. Mm-hmm. So the big brands like Chivas, right, um, Johnny Walker, you know, Dewar's, Ballantines. Mm-hmm. Um, the distillers historically have always produced for these blends or been owned by the blends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the old days, if you wanted a bottle of Macallan, you couldn't buy it from Macallan Distillery huh. because the, all of their production was going into these big blends like Famous Grouse. Oh, right. So, um, so basically, Duncan Taylor would buy barrels from Macallan and some of the big houses. So, why do they sell them? Because they don't do uh, they don't do the export model, or would there? Why did that originally start? Like, how does Duncan Taylor come in and buy a barrel of um, uh, of Macallan? I think just the way that the market evolved. You mm-hmm. know, the um, historically distillers were the things that made them successful was that they were excellent at not getting caught for distilling, <laughs> you yep. know? So yeah, they, were, yeah. they were, I mean, distilling was illegal. They were building their distilleries in really remote parts of Scotland. Right. But they didn't have access to the markets. Um, and so they would sell to grocers. Right. Like Johnny Walker was a grocer in Kilmarnock, Tommy Bell, right. uh, Arthur Dewar, uh, flip that. Right. They were grocers in Perth, Dundee, and they created their own blends that they sold from their, uh, from their stores. Huh. And they were buying from all the, the distilleries, blending it together and bottling it themselves. Um, you then fast forward to the kind of like the Industrial Revolution and Scotland, Glasgow was the second city of the British Empire. So mm. all of these ships were sailing in from the colonies, you right. know, carrying right. tobacco and sugar and right. um, tea and things like that. And it was a shorter sailing into Glasgow than it was to London. It was like three days shorter. Huh. And so, okay. so all the ships would land in Glasgow, and Glasgow would set the price for tobacco for the whole of Europe. Hmm. Okay. Um, but these ships were going back empty. Right. And so these smart uh, blenders like Johnny Walker started hiring the ship's captains as the first brand ambassadors. 
and oh. sending them out to the colonies to do to trade in, in blended Scotch whiskey. All right. I mean, basically, Scotch uh, exploded uh, right after the phylloxera scourge in Europe. Uh, so these, the phylloxera was a bug that attacked all these vineyards, and the vineyards went dead. Uh, so basically, the red, the world, and everyone loves to drink at this point is trying to figure out like, oh shit, what are we gonna do? Because that's when like absinthe uh, came into play. Uh, but Scotch really took the stage, I think, around the 1850s, somewhere around there, because it's just like you could bring export Scotch out to, and you could feed the people with like, what am I gonna drink next? I can't have wine. So Scotch kind of exploded on the world stage in in that that time period, right? Yeah. So these guys were known as the the whiskey barons, you know, Johnny, yeah. the, the the walkers, the bells, the jewers. Um, they were they were the whiskey barons and they they traveled the world you know they were, right. again they were the early brand ambassadors so they went out into the markets right built these relationships right. uh sometimes with you know less favorable characters maybe sure. if you look at if you look at prohibition and and you know the scotch that was still coming in then yeah duncan taylor was started by ed rosenberg right wasn't uh, where he was the first person so yeah abe um yeah. abe, abe, Rosen yeah. abe rosenberg yeah. was a new yorker a uh, good Scottish name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was part of that whole like New York Jew gangster crew, actually, right? Yeah, I yeah. think. Um, I mean, uh, let's be honest. To import Scotch whiskey straight after Prohibition, you, you had to have <laughs> right. a kind of steely edge. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, yeah. and and um, he was the importer of Jane B and Cutty Sark straight after Prohibition. So you know, I think he was he. It, it, Boardwalk Empire, that's really your, your reference point. Sure. I'm not saying he was Nookie Thompson, but um, there was probably a simil certainly similarities there. He, he's got an interesting past if anyone wants to look it up. It's Abe Rosenberg. But also like the Bronfmans from the Seagram's family. I mean, same thing, 1928, right at the end of Prohibition, got into it. I mean, these are some, some, some tough dudes like carving out their markets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I mean, especially in, in the U.S., which, you know, you're looking at a... a, a a small group of guys who went on and I mean founded Las Vegas and, and did yeah did a lot of, of pretty amazing things. You know, it's that it's that kind of frontier mentality, Wild West. Yeah. Um we don't really follow rules and uh and and yeah, so this the Scotch whiskey that was coming in I mean there's these stories about Lafroy right. was the only one that, that came in as basically prescription alcohol because Customs officers would smell it and couldn't believe that anybody would drink it. I mean, that's that that's, that's smoky iodine flavor. You know, right. it's, it smells funny. like antiseptic. And I right. love I love Lafroy. I love yeah. Ardbeg. But you know, right. th that is what people get on the nose is iodine hospitals band aids. Yeah, sure. Um, those are those are notes for Scotch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're yeah. they're all in the the, the peat section of the uh, of the flavor wheels. So that's that whiskey was coming in. It was coming in through Canada. Um, Again, in the in the case of the Seagram's family, you know, and um, hey, famous bootleg Joe Kennedy bootlegger, uh, you know, and then all the people who weren't doing whiskey were doing uh, with the Carnegies and the the, the Robert Baron era, or that's how people made their like billions, right? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I, th I think you have to. Or I give the Rosenberg the benefit of the doubt that, okay. that you know he was a he was a product of his time. You know, he wasn't necessarily a gangster, but he certainly right. he certainly had a, a hard edge to him. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he trademarked Black Bull, which is the first whiskey we've got in our glass, okay. uh, in New York in 1933. He also imported Jane B and Cutty Sark, right. um, and then he bought the Duncan Taylor Scotch Whiskey Company oh, okay. um, and started buying casks hmm. and laying down stock of casks in Scotland. Um, and again, this was common at the time because the distillers, they weren't thinking of single malt as brands, they were thinking as 
of, the, of their blends. So they could get volume, basically. Yeah, so blending, he, would, sure. he would go to distilleries like Bowmore and McAllen and buy, you know, probably 100 casks at a time. Hmm. Um, and he would do that every year and lay down the stock. And what's some of the older casks you have now still in storage? We st- we still got a lot of casks from from a Rosenberg. I mean, wow. when, when uh, the current owner Ewan Shand bought the company from the Rosenberg family, um, wow. And I mean, it it just it was an an unbelievable stock of casks. Um, so what, so yeah. our like our our nineteen sixty nine Macallan mm-hmm. uh, just turned fifty last year, and you know we still got handful of casks of 1969 Macallan left. Wow. Um, and it's... Uh, so is it, is it Macallan label then like a strip label that says Duncan Taylor? Or how does that, like, what's the label look like? Is yeah, that, so, yeah, so historically, um, again, the, the independent bottlers were allowed to use the names of the distillery. Um, and I think this is where we differ from bourbon, for example, where, mm. you know, there's a lot of uh, distillers that are supplying for bourbon brands, but they don't allow their name to go on the label. Right. In Scotch, because we have this kind of historic precedence with companies like Duncan Taylor, um, like Gordon McPhail, like Caddenheads, hmm. uh, as, l- as long as we put a statement of fact, so it has to say distilled at Macallan Distillery. Right. Um, we can't just put Macallan in. Gotcha. Because, uh, okay. you know, they'll argue that that's a trademark. Sure. That's, that's legit. Um, but if it's right. part of a statement of fact, if it says distilled at X distillery, then, mm. then that's allowed. So uh, gotcha. technically, the, the word Duncan Taylor has to be bigger than the word McAllen. Yeah, I, I, we, we'll get to bourbon at the end, but I think we really got to do a quick our scotch class. But bourbon, we, we talked about bourbon, and I, uh, we bring in a few bourbons. I looked at data on it, and something like 80%, 90% of the brands come out of two factories. Yeah, there's, a, really, there's, there's a, really a lot of bullshit in bourbon somebody's done you can find it online there's a really interesting like production tree mm-hmm. and it shows you you know a hundred bourbon brands and then it, the branches all come down to the roots which is the distillery yeah um or, and and you know there's eight distilleries that are producing for a hundred brands yeah. um and and even the big brands i mean i think i, I believe at the moment bullet is all distilled at four roses right but they are building their own distillery um yeah. So they've got a lot of kind of cross supply uh, supply contracts that right. that are going on. Okay, so let's let's get into the first uh, scotch because people are tuning in to uh, uh, f- let's figure out scotch. So what are we starting with here right now? By the way, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I I won't lie, I've I've have had drinks before at eight o'clock in the morning. Usually <laughs> I'm on the road, but but you're on the road. By the way, I love it. Uh, uh, Peter was just in Boston. Uh, um, you know, showing all these whiskeys, and uh, I was laughing with him earlier, saying, "I'm sure, like in Boston, they're like, wow, you got a fucking weird accent, dude. Where you from?" <laughs> right. I, I get that most places. <laughs> That's not unique to Boston. Uh, so let's get back to let's get to the very first uh, scotch we have, which is the Black Bull blended uh, Scotch whiskey. So let's talk about blends and grains, and then we'll, we'll let's drill down. Yeah. So I just uh, you know, for people who are, who are new to drinking scotch. Um, you know, it's about, or what I like to do is try and demystify the category. You know, it's not, sure. it's not that complicated. Um, right. There's, there's four main categories of production. Um, there's, you know, whiskey is just anything made from grain. Hmm. So, Scotch whiskey is just made from grain, distilled from grain in Scotland. Japanese whiskey distilled from grain in Japan. Irish whiskey, you know, right. and bourbon, right. American whiskey is just the same, but hmm. distilled over here. Uh, and then you have two main production techniques. One is uh, single malt. Mm-hmm. So single malt is made only from malted barley and it's distilled in a pot still. Those right. strange onion-shaped uh, right. mm-hmm. copper things that you that, that we use, big kettles. And then uh, grain whiskey can be a mixture of grain, so it can be 
corn, wheat, malted barley, unmalted barley, mm-hmm. and it's distilled in a continuous distillation process. So it's a giant column still. Right. Like you see more in bourbon actually. Right. And um, they use them in rum as well. You know, sixty feet high, and right. alcohol beer is basically pumped in one end, and and spirit comes out the other. Hmm. So it's a continuous right. process right. as opposed to the pot still, which is filled up, em- boiled until it's empty, filled up again. It's a small batch process. Right. Um. So in Scotland, we make malt whiskey, we make grain whiskey. When you mix those together, you get a blend. Okay. Okay, so usually what you're looking for with grain whiskey is, is the sweetness. It's got corn in it, so you mm. get a lot more vanilla, you know, candy corn, uh, butterscotch, mm-hmm. um, candy floss type flavors from, right. from the grain. The malt gives the heavier, deeper flavors. So malt can be smoky, it can be sherry cast it can be light it can be fruity and we're using those the, the malts for the flavor component and then the blend is basically it sweetens it and it bulks it up it makes it more palatable so mm. big blends johnny walker chivas ballantine's Dewars, you know mm. they're they're a good starting point duncan taylor blend duncan taylor blend, black bull black bull um so the one we've got today is a blend and it's um black bull 12 is actually as i said it's a historic recipe it was owned by Abe Rosenberg it came to New York in the 1930s really simple recipe 50% malt 50% grain whiskey bottled at 50% alcohol so it's matured in sherry casks the 12 year old so you're going to get this uh, this kind of dried fruit leather and um, dark chocolate like raisins and apricot notes Sounds dried that, apricots oh yeah there really is right and uh, that kind of um that heavy malty thing you're talking about is at the base note, and then all that other stuff kind of rolls in on top of it. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just swallowing. <laughs> um, yeah, so you'll you'll get this big kind of burst of alcohol. It's bottled at 100 proof, so we bottle our blends at slightly higher proof. But then as that fades, you're going to get those spiciness. You'll get mm-hmm. a slight astringency on the side of your palate. All right. Um, that's coming from the sherry casks, these Oloroso sherry casks mm-hmm. that we use to age the whiskey in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the sweetness as the as the flavor comes forward. I'm, I, right. I talk a lot about texture and mouthfeel rather right. than just flavor. Um, yeah. And then you get this like a saltiness in the tip of your tongue. Right. Because we do use a little bit of smoky whiskey in this blend, mm-hmm. just as a, a kind of base note. So right. when we're when we're blending, you're basically it's like cooking. You're, you're, right. It's like ingredients. We're we're the, we use a heavier whiskey as the base. Mm-hmm. It's big, broad, powerful shoulders that we can then add the other flavors on top of. And, and the blended stuff tends to be less expensive. Yeah, is yeah. So grain whiskey is cheaper to make, right? Um, you know, and so so blends tend to be less expensive. But um, you know, and t- again, using the cooking analogy, if you're if you're making a single malt, mm-hmm. you're only using ingredients from one place. Right, so to like a single vineyard in a wine. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's one area. Whereas right. if, you, if you're using a blend, you can use whiskeys from all over Scotland. So, you, you know, it would be like um, it'd be like trying to make bolognese using only ingredients that you can get within five miles of your house. Right. Or that, <laughs> yeah. that are grown there. Right. Or making it where you can use ingredients from all over the world. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, a blend, yeah, you're using all these different regions of Scotland. I think, you know, we usually try and 25 to 30 single malts inside the blend Um, some Speyside some Highlands some Lowlands some Campbellton so this is what I'd like to get into uh, after we why don't we taste and then I'd like to break it down by area because I know uh, each area itself it has its own water and uh, peatiness and that kind of stuff and that's I think will kind of shed a lot of light for people but I like this where we're going with just these are the blends and this is where we are and let's taste through Uh, what's the next one we're going to try so 
The next one I wanted to try is um, is a single grain whiskey. Okay. And now single grain is a bit of a misnomer because it's actually made from four grains. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that cork pop in there? I love that. <laughs> I love that sound. Yeah. So this is a 28-year-old uh, distilled at Strathclyde Distillery, and it's basically I I, I say it's a it's a Scottish bourbon because it is column stilled, okay. and it is a mixture of grains. The the single in single malt or single grain just means it's the product of one distillery. Ah, okay. Okay. It, um, and so that is the misleading single grain, right? It's just single okay. grain yeah. makes it sound like it's made from one type of grain, right. which is not. It's made right. at one distillery, mm -hmm. and it's a grain whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, so in here, there's going to be corn, wheat, malted barley, and unmalted barley mm -hmm. um, in different combinations depending on the distillery. So they so they have a mash bill. Okay that they'll use. Um, so mash bill, bill is a recipe, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right. it'll be 60% corn, mm. for, you know, 30% wheat, 10% mm. unmalted barley. And what uh, would be the difference in the black bull and this? So the grain is the, is the as I said, the, the bulking component that we use. Right. We mix this, we mix the malts together and then we add the grain whiskey to, to bulk it up. But grain is what gives it the sweetness. Okay. Um, as I said, grain whiskey is cheaper to produce, so it tends to be, you know, more affordable and actually, at the moment, you can get some beautiful grain whiskies, 28, 29, 30, 40 years old at really good prices. Huh. So, you know, if, if your eyes are a little bit open, right. um, there are some wonderful whiskies out there that, that, that aren't breaking the bank. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of uh, interesting. It reminds me of Mezcal to some degree in that it's more about the aging process. Um, where, I mean, mezcal, there's, you know, this uh, number of espadine or agave that you can use, uh, but still comes down to kind of the, the aging process is what we're talking about here, right? How long they're sitting in the cask and how old, uh, you know, it's, or how long it's been aged uh, is what gives it a kind of depth. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of all. I mean, I, I don't, uh, older isn't necessarily better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are, there are some fantastic, we, we bottle casks of whiskey five, six, seven years old that are, that are exceptional, you know, mm -hmm. and um, a lot of people say cask is king, and that's really, you know, the distillation can only contribute so much. Right. It's it's the quality of the oak that you're using and, and hmm. the length of time, and that's really, I think, what Duncan Taylor specialised in. We're, again, we're not distillers, so we leave, you know, the guys at McAllen know how to make right. the best single malt, the best distillate. Um, the guys at Lafroy and Ardbeg, we leave that to them. Our, right. our area of focus is on the oak, Right. So Ewan Shand at Duncan Taylor um, started off as a cooper when he was 15 years old, building casks. Wow. So yeah. he, he knows oak, he knows right. what contributes good flavours, and that's where our, our focus is. It's uh, a big factor then, right? The, the oak and uh, whether it's Oloroso barrels or um, other like vessels. And do, do you char, like smoke any of the barrels? or? So most of the casks we get are used. Yeah. All the casks we get are used. I mean, they've, yeah. all, they've all held either, held either bourbon, port, sherry, mm -hmm. um, rum, before, right. before we get them, you know. But do, you do you find those flavor the scotch? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah. So, so, so they're picked for a reason. Yeah, yeah so okay. bourbon, bourbon casks give vanilla, toffee, butterscotch flavors. Right. Sherry casks give the dark chocolate leather, huh. uh, dried fruits, maybe tobacco, cigar tobacco notes. Like Oloroso tastes. Exactly. Those are, those are Oloroso notes. Exactly. Yeah. If, if okay. anything, I would say it's even deeper in, in, in hmm. good quality scotch. Um, wow. So this is the Strathclyde. It's a single cask, uh, single grain, 28-year-old from Strathclyde Distillery. But you're going to get a, m a lot more sweetness, a lot more mm -hmm. vanilla. It's not as broad on the palate. It's more focused, and there's definitely a lot more kind of fruit sweetness. 
Um, yeah, and it will. It's one that will. You know, it, it's cask strength. It's fifty-one point two percent alcohol. So, so cask strength. Explain what that means when somebody sees it on a label. What is Ca- that? Yeah, cask strength just literally means it's been poured from the the barrel into the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so after distillation, I mean, it it varies, but uh, a single malt is probably at 74 percent alcohol. That's like 150 um, proof. Yeah. Right. And then most distilleries will actually water the cask down, or the whiskey down to, it's not even called whiskey yet until it's three years old, so it's watered right. down to about um, 64%, mm-hmm. 635 and it's filled into the casks mm-hmm. okay. uh, for aging. Now, that, that strength has been chosen for a reason. It's basically, you know, it's the balance point between getting influence from the, and flavour from the cask but not having insane evaporation. So we talk about the angel's share. Yes. If you yeah. fill a cask at, at 72%, the alcohol just flies out there. It evaporates, yeah. And it's right. also more volatile. It, it, it takes less desirable flavors from the oak. It can, sometimes. It so that's why it's so important about what degree of alcohol it hits that barrel at, because if it's too high, it extracts flavors that you don't want. Right, and then also you. I, mean, I imagine you're putting on a sliding scale of age. Like I'm gonna, this is gonna be in a cast for ten years or twenty or thirty years, right? You're, or yeah, yeah. You, but you, you you are also kind of you're just guesstimating what's gonna happen. Right. A large part of it is just monitoring the cask, and right. you know we can have ten casks that are filled on the same day with the same whiskey, and they sit right next to each other into the warehouse, and you know two of them will take a lot of flavor really quickly, and a lot of color really quickly. Hmm. Um, you know four or five might not take much flavor at all right so is it somebody's job to then di- like taste these casks weekly um not weekly <laughs> i right. mean or some some of these distilleries have got you know tens of thousands of casks right so y- you know you're you're ring fencing them in, right. in preparation for when you think you're going to use them but again this is this is the skill of a master blender or a, or a you know they're they're looking for consistency so um, we're picking a whole bunch of casks that are going to be uh, give us the flavors that in Black Bull Twelve, for example. Right. That that might be you know two hundred casks that are mixed together. Okay. To create consistency. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's go to the next uh, next scotch. Um. So the next one I wanted to do is a, is a single malt. Okay. Um well-known distillery at, at Highland Park. So now immediately you say single malt, people think it's, it's more expensive, it's, it's from one grain. Exactly, right? yeah, so, so it's, it's made only from malted barley. Um, malting barley just basically means, you know, the, you let the, the shoots, you let it germinate so that the, uh, mm. the starch that's been stored inside the grain is converted into mm-hmm. And to, are ready for converting into sugar. It's not actually converted to sugar right. until you mix it with hot water, but right. it breaks it down um, mm. so that it can be used to turn into alcohol. Mm. So the malting process takes time, um, which contributes to the cost. Malting barley is more expensive, which contributes to the cost. Right. And then you're distilling it in a small mm. small batch, which right. also contributes to the, cast, mm. the cost. And so what's the name of the brand we're here? I mean, sorry, what's the name of the brand right here? We're, we're, this is Duncan Taylor. This is Duncan Taylor, but it's uh, distilled at Highland Park Distillery. Okay, Highland on, Park. Okay. On the island of Orkney. Okay. Um, so, I mean, Highland Park's a kind of an iconic uh, distillery up there. You know, right. they, they do their own malting on site. Um, it has a real, I think, island coastal note. There's a little bit of smoke in there. It's got a nice saltiness. It's, it's, it's a very 
the complexity, I think, is what appeals to people about Highland Park. Yeah. Um, it's 54% alcohol, so again, it might need a little bit of water, but you know, right. um, it, that's cast strength. It's been poured straight from the barrel. Right. So um, while we're talking about, what is the best way to drink scotch? I mean, there's, there's multiple ways, but what is the, like you feel, is the best way to get the best flavor? I mean, you're paying top dollar, for, particularly for something like this, or, or the oldest stuff. So what's, what's the way it should be enjoyed? The, the most. I mean, at the end of the day, drink it how you like. It's, yeah, you know, it's, sure. made, it's okay. made to be enjoyed. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you know that you're doing it wrong because. Uh, but then I can, think that's, yeah. that's part of the snobbery that puts people off. Sure. Same drinking with, yeah. scotch, and you know we're trying to get more people and uh, enjoying it and drinking it responsibly. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, I mean, if, in terms of how I usually recommend to people, it's it's always worth, you know, open the bottle, let it breathe for a little bit, and then try it straight. Try right. it at, at, at bottle strength, um, and then it's worth trying it with a drop or two of water. Mm-hmm. And what does the water do? So the things that give scotch flavour are fatty acids, esters, proteins, you know, and, and mm. tannins, and all these things from the, the distillation and the maturation. Mm-hmm. They're all soluble in water. Right. So adding a drop or two of water will just open it up. It changes the structure of the whiskey and it releases more um, more of the flavour. Huh. And okay. if, if you add a little bit of water and it doesn't improve, you can always add more whiskey. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you, you don't have to. That's throw, true. You don't have to throw <laughs> away. You haven't ruined it. Just take the bottle and top your glass up. Um, but I find a drop or two of water really just opens it and enhances the flavour. And if you actually watch, you know, as I'm adding the water in here, you will see the whiskey go cloudy. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So it takes on this. That's the haze. That the, for a brief period, that's the um, the alcohols uh, and the fatty acids and things changing as as they're diluted. Right. Um, it's definitely more of a bigger base note, more earthy kind of component to this, less that over-the-top kind of like uh, fruit. Um, I could see why people, you know, like single malt, but... Yeah, it's, I mean, um, it's... it's um, That's a real sip and savor mm-hmm. dram, you know. Now, as I said, drink it how you like. I mean, some people will stick ice in that. Um, personally, I, if I'm putting ice, I do put ice in my whiskey, but I would just I would go for a blend. I would go for something like that, Black Bull 12, with, right. with a big chunk of ice in it. Right. When I'm pouring a 19-year-old single malt, I mean, this is a few hundred dollars a bottle. Right. I really want to sip and savor and enjoy it and get the most out of it. So that you know, this would be one glass at the end of the night, whereas the Black Bull 12 is you've got buddies around you. You know, you're yeah. you're playing <laughs> cards or you're smoking cigars or you're uh, watching sports or whatever uh-huh, you're doing. And, right. You know, so. Um, what is a dram? You said a dram. A dram's just a just a pour. Usually, usually two fingers. Where I come from, uh, right. you know. So, <laughs> so if you want to be a badass, you pull into your favorite bar and you go, yeah, just give, just give me a dram of uh, give me some a of dram. Yeah, it was, yeah, well, it was always uh, I don't know. We'd, it, I come from a small village on the west coast, so it was right. um, you know, like we don't we always said we went to my my auntie Mary's house. It's called Sea View, and you you went to Sea View for a Sea View pour. It was a, a Sea View dram. Right, which was two fingers. You know, okay. that, that was always where you got the biggest. I like that the two finger dram. The, the biggest good. pours. I um, like that. Uh, what's the next scotch we're onto? So that's us done. We've we've done a blend. We've done a grain. Okay. We've done a single malt, and mm-hmm. you know when we mix single malt and grain together, that that creates a blend. Right. Um, there is another category that, that we're seeing a lot more of in the market that I mm-hmm. think might appeal to people just because it you, you get some really good value. Right, um, and this is called blended malts. Blended malt, okay. And blended malts used to be called pure malts or vatted malts, and they changed the rules and said we had to call them blended malts. 
But basically, this is where we mix two or more malts together. Mm -hmm. So it's a blend of malts. Okay. There's no grain whiskey in here. Right. Um, and so, you know, you're just taking... If, if we mixed Ardbeg and Macallan together, that would be a, right. a blended malt. Um, and because, you know, the single malt moniker has that kind of uh, kudos to it, that does also add to the value. Right. Whereas blended malt is, is not as desirable, right. so you get some really good pricing. Yeah. You know, you can go into stores and you'll find something, a real steal. Um, right. So this is a 21-year-old blended malt. This right. is actually a mixture of Balvenie and Glenfiddich. Um, wow. And so you're going to get... Balvenie's famous for that, that deep, like, Manuka honey mm. sweetness. Um, I have to tell you, man, you can really taste these kind of incredible differences. Um, the biggest thing to steer your head around is the alcohol. You get around the alcohol, you really start to... Your initial is that alcohol, but then the, the uh, uh, variation in intensity flavors are, are easily there. And I can begin to see why real... Scotch aficionados have their call brands that they love, or they love a certain house, right? Yeah, um, I think. I mean, for me, I, I, you know, I've spent time in retail. I've worked, I've worked in in, in whiskey shops. That's actually where I started at a famous whiskey shop in Scotland called Loch Fine Whiskies, mm -hmm. uh, with a good friend Richard Johnson, and uh, you know, people. Uh, People walk in and they see a wall of Scotch with weird-sounding names like Brookladdy and Craigellachie and Glenallachie, and and it's it's overwhelming and it's intimidating, sure. and you know you don't mm. really know where to start. Um, and so that's why I'm saying you know you, you go to a bar and start with with one or two of the blends and see what you think of them. Yeah. Then try you know some of the uh, the standards like Glenfiddich 12, Glenlivet 12, um, maybe a Lafroy, a Talisker, a Springbank. Mm -hmm. Glen Farkless, you know, these are whiskies that are kind of universally easy to find, mm -hmm. um, and and you'll start to get an idea of the style that you like. So, the, for me, the first thing you're looking for is to find that, um, uh, you know, a distillery or a, or a region that you like. If if you find that you're going more Glenfiddich, Glenlivet, then you're probably Speyside. Mm -hmm. If you find that you're preferring Ardbeg or Laphroaig or the smokier ones, you know, so so try and pinpoint what style you like. Then you're going to look at the type of cask which you can find on the information on the bottle. You can ask the, you know, the guy in your local store will probably right. have a fair idea if you're buying bourbon casks or sherry casks. Right. And there's, I got to tell you, tasting today, there's a huge difference. Like you said, the Olorosco cast to me threw a lot more of the kind of apricot, toffee uh, notes that were, I, for me, you know, again, personal, I, I thought that was fantastic. So uh, I like that we're giving people a, a place to start and, and where to go. Uh, but I'd like to just now like uh, take apart a little bit of the stuff because uh, like we hear it's the water that makes some of these um, uh, producers so different and what makes them special. And then where they're from, uh, you know, with uh, going from light to medium to heavy, like, oh, that's the big oily, the Islay, I think it is, right? There's, uh, that are just, those are the more intense smoky peat. What gives it the smoky peat thing that people always talk about with scotch? It's kind of contentious. A, a good, good buddy of mine, uh, Robin Robinson, has written an excellent whiskey course uh, book. Robin, if you're listening, this is a plug for you. It's, <laughs> it's well worth the read. But Robin and I uh, have very different opinions on the, the regional... Uh, Terroir. He he okay. hates the use of the word terroir, <laughs> and, and, and I actually think it's quite applicable. I think it, yeah. I think it helps with um, 
certainly with newbies with marketing with you know helps sure. the guys working in stores as well you know the guy that's just started in a store and he's completely overwhelmed and then he, sure. you know somebody tells him well isla tends to be smoky peaty speyside tends to be you know grassy and delicate highlands tend to be more su- sweeter more honeyed lowlands tend to be softer campbelltown tends to be salty you know that, that right. gives you a five point Right. S- starting point, you know, that you can then th- that you can then expand your knowledge from. Right. Um, so I think there are regional classifications. There's no, uh, there are exceptions to every rule, of course. Oh, of course, yeah. People are making peaty whiskey in Speyside. Um, they're making unpeated whiskey on Isla. So just just tell people what peat is. So peat is is literally turf. I mean, turf. it's it's so it's it's uh, the Isla is very. I mean, it's a wild place. It's very few trees it's right. windy it's rainy um and it's full of bogs and, right. and in these bogs plant material because they're so wet the soil's so wet plant material decomposes really really slowly mm-hmm. so the heather and the bracken and the any trees they decompose over tens of thousands of years because there's there's no oxygen so there's no or very little bacteria right. that can actually break down these this plant material right. so this is why you know when they find prehistoric man or dinosaur bones or anything like that is always in peat bogs well there's a there's the famous bog man yeah right yeah exactly so <laughs> yeah uh, yeah uh, probably isla uh, yeah <laughs> but um so these plant material decomposes really really slowly in these bogs um and it as it decomposes um it basically packs together in a way that can be you know, can be dug out the ground and dried, right? Um, and burnt as a form of like oil, basically instead of uh, or coal, right? It's kind of young coal, I suppose. If you if and you so the distillery uses this from there, and it's a hundred yards from there, or two hundred. It's close enough to there. That's what they're using as a fuel source. Yeah. So people people still dig it and burn it in their homes. I mean, crofters and on the west coast of Scotland, they they dig it out with a, a kind of long L shaped. Uh, like a shovel knife yeah, yeah. shovel huh? that they huh. dig in and it cuts it out in, in sections that can then that are then stacked up and dried over huh. over the summer and then burnt over the winter so people were using it in their homes right um and on isla there's no there's no trees as i said there's no coal there's nothing like that to burn so after the malting process with once you malt the barley mm-hmm. and it's uh, you then have to dry it Right. You have to remove the moisture so you can store it, and, you, and you'll store it um, before you before you mash it, before you mix it with hot water. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a, a certain amount of like resting time, basically, before you can you can actually use it to make whiskey. So they have to remove the moisture. You have to, to it's basically less than four percent moisture. The growth mm-hmm. has stopped, and the barley's inert, and all of that starch is locked away inside there. Um, and so to to dry it, you put it in a kiln, basically a big oven, right, and and that's where the peat comes in. That's where the peat comes in. So, okay. th- so it, the peat is burnt underneath it. The smoke permeates up through it, dries it, and uh, and gives it this unique smokiness. But I mean, there's over over a hundred distilleries in Scotland, and, and only ten of them make smoky whiskies. So mm-hmm. th- there is a kind of misconception, that, particularly in America, where people say, "I can't drink Scotch; it's too peaty." Huh, you're right. And I'm like, "Well, that's that's, that's a tiny percentage of right. of." Uh, and and is that kind of an affinity? People, some people like that. They're like, "I like very." Smoky Scotch. Like, who are the producers that would you would say are left that do that? To name a couple. Of I like mean, the, f- the famous ones are Ardbeg and Laphroaig. Okay. Um, Lagavulin, Talisker mm-hmm. are the, the the main 
producers of that smoky style, and I think that you know they've they've become Ardbeg in particular has become a cult. Right. You know, there's the kind of cult of Ardbeg. I think uh, people have a hallelujah moment the first time they taste it. You know, it's like, mm. and I often hear, you know, maybe it's and the older way of marketing whiskey, but it's like, oh, you start you start with the light ones and you'll work up to the smoky ones as your right. palate develops. Right. In my experience, I don't find that true at all. I think people who like smoky whiskies just have a hallelujah moment. It's like a light bulb right, comes yeah. on, and they go, "Oh my god, this is the best thing they I've found ever tasted." It, yeah. I am, I'm, I'm never going to stop drinking this. Right. Or, equally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they go, "Oh my god, that was terrible. I'm never drinking that yeah. again." But, but right. I think most Isla friends, it's a hallelujah, and I don't find it's really, I don't find it's predominantly male. I don't find, you know, it's just people have this hallelujah moment where, where they don't want to drink anything and then as their palate develops they actually work back towards the lighter or as oh. their scotch knowledge develops they start right. working back towards the lighter whiskies um, that makes sense to me you though. know it's just people who like pickled herring people who like yeah um i think the flavors are so intense on the in smoky stuff i can i can understand why people yeah it's the same reason why yeah people taste um uh, you know, uh, a food or a beverage, and they're just like, "Oh my god!" Or like a lot of people start in wine, start with something crazy like Zinfandel, or big, huge, monstrous, uh, you know, wines that don't have a lot of nuance, and they go, "Oh man, I love this! I get it!" Because they just understand it immediately. Yeah. And then it's, and then as their palate develops, they're like, "Yeah, you know, I like a little something less alcoholic. Well, I like something a little more nuanced." You know, I think you see, we've seen it most recently in the growth in IPAs and 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 beer. You know, mm. it wasn't. People didn't start off with Bud Lights and build their palate up towards IPAs. They, somebody let them try an IPA and they went, oh my God, that's amazing. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, and now we're seeing, seeing the trends where people are working back towards uh, towards lighter styles of beer. So I think it's, it's people just have a, a proclivity for, some people have a proclivity for stronger, bolder flavours. I think it also, it's easier, again, to make yourself sound like an expert, you know, if you if you stick your nose in and you go, oh yeah, that that's an Ardbeg, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty identifiable flavor. So right. and people go, oh my God, he he, he, yeah, really, he really knows scotch. his stuff. Yeah, yeah that's that's amazing. So, so that's your Don Draper moment. So people like that yeah. kind of, uh, you know, they get to stick yeah. their chest out a bit, and, yeah. and and it gives you confidence. But what about Japan? Why is uh, I mean, there seems to be a cult almost for these. Uh, I have people calling me all day long. Hey, where can I find Japanese whiskey? And certainly, in the last five years. And so, where, what's the origin of that? And why are they that different? You've been to Japan. You're going to tell me your Scotch bar stories in Japan. So let's start with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been going. I've been going to Japan for over twenty years. I, I used to work for Springbank, and mm -hmm. and the, you know the distillery mm -hmm. uh, was huge in Japan. That was their their biggest market, and you know we were Frank McHardy, who's who's you know taught me everything I know about whiskey, and has probably forgotten more about whiskey than I'll ever know. Mm -hmm. Was like a rock star, and and you know he was he was the distillery manager at Springbank, and he ran Bushmills, and he ran Brooklady on Isla, fifty years in the whiskey industry. Um, and he was a real icon in Japan, and you know we'd go travelling with him and and Richard Patterson from, from Master Blender at White Mackay. These are names that might not mean anything to you, but in Japan they're 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 a big deal, you know. And they get chased down the street and ask for autographs and wow. Um, and they have this kind of yeah, we've been bagpiped through Ginza Square in Tokyo and. Um, really, you know, across the busy crossing, right. we, like bagpipes leading us in a procession. We're all in our kilts, and uh, 
Yeah, it was crazy. They they went huge for for Scotch whiskey over there. Um, but they, I mean, they're the Japanese whiskey. I mean, I think it's coming up for a hundred years probably this year. Is it us? Um, since Takatsuru, okay, uh, Makataka Takatsuru went to Scotland, and. 1919, 1920. Right. Um, did a course in engineering at Glasgow University and, and then went and worked at Longmorn Distillery and he worked at Hazelburn Distillery. He learned how to distill in the Scottish style. Huh. He then went to Japan, went back to Japan, um, built a distillery for Suntory and then left and built his own distillery at, at, at Nika, so Yamazaki mm-hmm. uh, distillery he built. And then, uh, so it's almost, you know, almost 100 years they've been distilling in Japan. But they were just distilling for their their domestic blends, right? Um, it, and they they still had a love of of Scotch whisky. Um, but it's interesting. I think if you you know uh, if you took a, I mean I've been over, I've been around the distilleries in Japan. If you took a, a, a Scottish distiller from a hundred years ago and put him in a modern Scottish distillery, he wouldn't know where to start. Hmm. There was a huge wow. mod, huge modernization in the seventies, right? Um, and and you know he wouldn't know one end from the other. Whereas if you put him in a Japanese distillery, they've kept to the traditions of Scotland probably more than most of the Scots have. Um, That's funny. That makes sense, though. They're just you know they're driven by tradition and driven, culture. Yeah, exactly. Right? And 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 they they were shown to do it this way a hundred years ago, and they're never going to you know diverge from that. Um, right. And so yeah, Scottish distillers went through a period of of, of modernisation. Um, but I think the, the boom in, J- in Japanese whiskey to me, mm. it, it's it's the same parallel as. as Honestly, the, the boom in single malts and then the boom in, in bourbons that we're going through just now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, it, and it comes from a dip in sales. So Scotch whiskey, single malt Scotch whiskey sales plummeted in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And companies had all this, this inventory. We called it the whiskey lock. They were selling this huge inventory of casks. Right. So these casks got older and older and older. Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Yeah. But then they were just selling them cheap. Right. You know, they were bottling it. And I mean, I, we all remember the late 90s. Springbank 21-year-old was $90 a bottle. You know, um, Macallan 18 was probably about the same. Like, they were really, really affordable. And right. so that's what hooked people in was these beautiful whiskies at affordable prices. Right. And as the single malts took off, stock levels fell, prices went up. And we're now in the situation where, where Scotch whiskey is much more expensive. So then people went to... I guess to bourbon things like Pappy Van Winkle and sure they had huge stocks I mean I, I, I can remember the days when nobody was buying rye right. nobody was interested in it the stocks got older and older and older prices right. were still affordable people were buying beautiful rye whiskies at really really good prices mm. the boom takes off start running out of stocks sure. prices go up so the exact same thing happened mm. in Japan mm. these, these wonderful you know Yamazaki 18 and Karazawa and um, Hibiki and, and they were old stock at, at incredible quality at a really good price people start buying the bottles they start com- consuming it they tell their friends how much they love it the boom happens Japanese whiskey runs out of stock which makes it more desirable because sure. you're now seeing them selling at auction in yeah, the secondary no, market um, and it kind of we now in the situation where in, I think in Japan most of the brands have dropped age statements Wow, and, ve- and so the same classification, like they'll do blended, they'll do single malt, they'll do in Japan, or do they stick to one particular? They have a preference of a, a well, style. At the moment, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of these Japanese blends and blended malts. It's it's actually Scotch that they contain. 
Hmm. Um, they haven't really tightened up their regulations yet. So, right. and Irish, I mean, I know they were buying huge volumes of bushmills in, in the 90s and, and shipping it out to Japan where they would blend it. Wow. Or okay. for, for a, you know, and, and they would sell it in every 7-Eleven in Tokyo would have this, this cheap blend from Suntory and it had a Japanese text on the label. Right. And their, and their argument is that's just, a, that's just the name. Right, you know, we're yeah. not calling it Japanese whiskey. We're just saying that's that's the name of our brand. Ah, um, bait and switch. Yeah, a little bit. A, yeah. A little bit. So, uh, so do they stock up? Uh, do they stack up against uh, your your favorites? Like, do you drink Japanese whiskey and say this is on a par and sometimes better than stuff I find oh, coming absolutely. out of Scotland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so think, it's not bullshit. No, no, no. Okay. I mean, I think the um, the the. I mean, if you're ever lucky enough to try a Karazawa, which is a closed, it's closed distillery, so it's kind of the Stitzel Weller, which was where Pappy Van Winkle was from originally. Right. You know, and again, the closed distillery thing contributes to the legend because people know they're never going to get it again. Right. So they're, they're squirreling away bottles, both for drinking and investment, which drives the prices up, which makes it a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but, I mean, those, ca- those old Karazawas were, were right. unbelievable. Um, just, and <laughs> I've got a few bottles under my bed in Scotland, <laughs> you know, squ- squirreled away for a rainy day. Um, so no, the, 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 I mean the quality of of the things that they're making. I, I mean, one of the best things you can do is is if you ever get a chance, is go and visit Yamazaki Distillery, because okay. it is something to behold. I mean, it's uh, they've basically built this distillery that has every shape of still. So like they've got Macallan shaped stills, they've got Highland Park. Like they've copied the stills of Scotland and basically laid them out in this beautiful distillery that can make a hundred different styles. So they're, they're also really innovative in that they, they play about with types of yeast, types of oh, wow. barley. You know, they're, they're very into the education and the research. Huh. Um, and so, you know, the, yeah, they've got some really interesting stuff coming out. So we, uh, we always talk about food and wine pairings. The, is there a Scotch favorite, like, pairings for some Scotches that you find work? Like... Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's after dinner stuff and, and no, pre, but no, like, no, no, but would you do a scotch and food pairing? Do, I do them all the time. Yeah, yeah. do them frequently. So, um, what, what's some of the best pairings? To, to me, uh, let me pour you this whiskey. And oh, sure, I've got one more that I'd save. This is a a heavily peated Brooklady, um Port Charlotte, and it's in a sherry cask. And I just way I just love the way you say that. This is a good one to end on. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a cold, rainy day okay. in, in New York. It is. Yeah, um, and this is a. a Peat oh yeah, and yeah. sherry bomb, yeah. right? So the peatiness, leather, again, yeah. uh, you're going to get the iodine, the band aids, the, the, this wonderful smokiness. The sherry cask give a deep, deep, almost soy flavour. Now imagine a few drops of this in your soy sauce with some wasabi when you're having sushi. Yeah, man. Or a few drops on top. Wow. Of, on top of sushi. Um, the the the. the the soy kind of meatiness, the, the, the unami couples with wow, this that's really that's well. fucking incredible. It does taste like kind of a smoked soy sauce with a fruit kind of finish. What is that again? One more time. So it's it's uh, Port Charlotte from from Brooklady. It's actually it's a Duncan Taylor. So we're not allowed to use the name Port Charlotte, but it okay. says distilled at Brooklady Distillery. Brooklady pe- Distillery. Heavily peated. Um, so uh, yeah, I could see this with that see sushi. That, that combination, absolutely. So, you know, anything like that with with oysters um, would work really well. Uh, any, I mean, a, a, again, a dark chocolate mousse or a, a, any sort of dessert yeah. that, that where you're a little bit more bitterness than sweetness. Um, that's going to pair 
really, really well with that, you know. And and and, and after a nice, you know, you've had a nice steak, you've had some red wine. Yeah. You're getting to the coffee end of the, you know. And that you, is. You pour a glass of that. That is brilliant. I love that. Beautiful whiskey. Yeah. yeah. And do you have a favorite uh, Scotch whiskey bar in New York, or where somebody should go to uh, taste some of the best of the best? And where can they find your product? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not that fancy a guy. I, uh, I like going to the the Caledonia Bar on upper. There's one on the upper east side and one on the upper west side. Okay. Um, you know, it's a kind of up from a dive bar, but with a really nice whiskey selection. You know, quite small, quite cozy, and mm. you know, good beers and and. And a good dram, and I think I believe they do tasting flights. Um, you know, if it's if it's oh, more great. more refined, then yeah, you're probably looking at the Brandy Library or um, you know places like that where you can just a, a, an amazing selection, uh, and you can sit and sit and savor a dram. Wow, I love have a dram. I love a dram of this. Brooklotic is so. How do you so? What is the style of this? They should ask for if they want this smoky soy. It's kind of heavily peated and sherry casks. Okay, is what people that's, should be looking that's for. That's the okay. combination that's... Because that's crazy. That's, that's I had a little alleluia there with given, that one. Yeah, that's giving that you that flavor. Wow. And, wow. and it's kind of, uh, you know, we, we always, I mean, if, if we always used to talk, if you're building a distillery, what style would you make? And, and it's kind of, if, if, if you want... Uh, if you wanted to, all the all the whiskey geeks to go crazy, then yeah. you, would, you would make a heavily peated, heavily sherry whiskey it, huh. it, it doesn't appeal to the masses but people who love it really love i that, could see that. that style i could see that well cool man i i want to thank you for helping me celebrate bevuary our response to the dry january movement <laughs> of last last month uh thank you peter for being on drinking on the job no thanks for having me it was fun thanks again for listening don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com until then i'll see you at the bar I'm a sailor!